0: Another day, another damn dollar, another coupon in the mailbox. Oh, howdy, y'all. Such a gorgeous day out there, isn't it? Apart from simply having, oh, the opportunity each week to talk with all of you, nothing bad has happened so far to put a damper on my mood. Plus... Today I get to bring you something new, and as in new, I mean not a German serial killer. In fact, I have to shout out Sweden today. All of you Swedes out there for showing your support. Uh, You are now a very happy portion of my listeners, so thank you, or talk? Tack? I think that's thank you in Swedish. Seriously, I cannot wait for the day I'm able to visit Sweden. Everything about your country sounds so much more peaceful than here in America, or excuse me, the United States. (laughs) Unlike Germany, Swedish serial killers are much more rare than Germany in terms of amount. But don't count them out, though. <laughs> but don't count them out. The ones that I have been able to read about so far are nothing to scoff at. Unlike Ron DeSantis. you, To that guy. Someone else to scoff at, our subject today, Anders Lindbach, Sweden's first known serial killer. Thankfully, today I was able to avoid to avoid any child killings or extremely brutal dismemberments. Seems like it's been a few weeks since we've touched on anything lighter. My sources today come from a couple of different Wikipedia articles, as well as an article by Elizabeth Day at the Elizabeth Day at the Guardian, and then a, a I think a fandom site just for a couple dates here and there. All right, quick side note before we dive in, I went to check the fact that he, he really was. Uh, Anders was Sweden's first serial killer. I just wanted to make sure of that. And on all the sites and Google searches out there, instead of getting Sweden's first serial killer, I kept getting Sweden's most notorious killer, Thomas Quick. And I had completely forgotten about this case. It's one of those stories that brings out the very best and the very worst in true crime. I just want to read a quick snippet from uh, the Guardian article I mentioned about this guy before we get back into the Onder story. Since I'm heavily leaning towards doing this case next week anyways, we can have a little teaser today. Quote, Until relatively recently, Stor Bergwall, or Bergwall was Sweden's most notorious serial killer. He had confessed to more than 30 murders and been convicted of eight. He called himself Thomas Quick. Assuming the sinister alter ego, he claimed during a succession of therapy sessions at Seder over the years that he had maimed, raped, and eaten the remains of his victims, the youngest of whom was a nine-year-old girl whose body had never been found. During the 1990s, Thomas Quick confessed to one unsolved murder after another, becoming, in the words of the father of one of the alleged victims, a ghost who ran through Scandinavia killing more than 30 people. The sadistic murderer was a media sensation, and his bespeckled face stared out from front pages and television screens everywhere. The newspapers called him the cannibal. Thomas Quick became Sweden's very own Hannibal Lecter. Quote. And then, as many of you probably know or remember, everything changed. He changed his name back to Sturbergwall and recounted everything. After a famous documentarian questioned his story and the lack of evidence, the, the lack of physical evidence tying him to these crimes. And without giving away too much, uh, it turns out that he had fabricated all of it. Everything. How did this Thomas or uh, Storr, store, God, I suck at names. How did he know so much? Why didn't anyone question his confessions? And who let this slip through the cracks? Something that we'll definitely have to dig into next Tuesday. But for now, back to Sweden's first serial killer, which I'm still not sure if that's quite true since I became so distracted. But let's roll with it. On December 22nd, 1803, Anders was born in a small Swedish town by the name of Berlanda. And again, please forgive me for all of the rough name and town pronunciations, I promise I am doing my uncultured best. His father, Ander's father, a farmer, along with his mother, a homemaker, they tried their best. However, they lived a very poor life. Ander's one joy in childhood seemed to come from reading. He had access to books, if nothing else. During his teenage years, unfortunately, both of his parents passed away, and he was sent to live with a much wealthier uncle. And from the time he was seventeen in the year eighteen twenty to about twenty-one years old, four years later, his uncles supported Anders in schooling and studies. And a few years later, after that, uh, to be honest, I don't know why he was studying so much. Honestly, but in eighteen twenty-nine, he was accepted into yet another school. This school being Uppsala or Uppsala University. According to Wiki, it is a public research university in Uppsala, Sweden. Founded in 1477, it is the oldest university in Sweden and the Nordic countries still in operation. As of 2020, it had approximately 52,000 registered students at the undergraduate and postgraduate levels and 2,200 PhD students." So even back then in 1829, I assume it was quite the respected university. Here, he must have finally found what he thought was his calling. In 1831, Anders became an ordained priest, which at the time was a very significant status boost or status boost. Nowadays, I'm not so sure. For the next 30 years, he seemly, seemingly he seemingly acted as a man of God and faith and held up his position as a priest in one of the neighboring parishes. Neighboring parishes. A parish, I learned, um, if you don't know, is not only the church, but the entire essentially territory that the church is responsible for. Again, according to Wiki, quote, by extension, the term parish refers not only to the territorial entity, but to the people of its community or congregation, as well as to church property within it, end quote. So that's neat. During his time at the parish, He started a movement against alcohol. Boring. And after 30 long years uh, working as a priest and then, you know, banning booze, he had the chance to become the vicar, vicar, oh shoot, I should have looked up his pronunciation, the vicar, I think it's the vicar, V-I-C-A-R, of his own parish. I'm going to look that up. I'll be right back. V-I-C-A-R. Oops. Pronunciation. What is it? Vicar. Ah, I was right. Okay. The vicar of his own parish. A vicar is essentially the person in charge of the entire parish, religiously responsible for the well being of those under their care. A town mayor appointed by the church, if you will. Yet another powerful title that the church gets to distribute. His new parish was in a small region called Silbadol. Silbadol. Now, fully in charge of everything, we see a change in him. This, by the way, is all happening in the early 1860s. To outsiders, it was a positive change of heart. But to historians and us, we see a much more negative side. Continuing Continuing his campaign against alcohol, he then added, Anders added poverty and criminality to his shit list. Quote, when he was accepted as a vicar in Sibaldal in 1861, he got more power in this position, an opportunity to go through his own concepts and ideas. The main goal was to create a parish free from poverty, full of hardworking people who have education opportunities. His vision was about creating order in both the economy and the existence of poor people in the parish. At the time, the church was supporting 40 people, a heavy burden for such a small parish. End quote. We're saying parish a lot today. It's fun. So like I said, he appears appears to have his heart in the right place. He claims he wants to help the poor and provide more opportunities for those in need. A wonderful idea, sir. How will you ever do such a thing? How will you create a poverty-free parish? Such a good question. Let's answer. The first action he took, and by far his least cruel, was a very stringent tightening of the church's budget. He did this by establishing a few new strict rules. One, the church would only help those within the parish. So roughly. Those 40 people or so. And number two, the guidelines for receiving help from the church became insanely rigorous. Some even referred to them as illegal at the time. So immediately, we see Anders take full advantage of his new powerful position. Unfortunately, this was nowhere near enough progress for the new vicar. It was at this point he decided to take matters directly into his own hands. Batman style, except naughtier, you know? With no need to put up a facade, already being the man of God that people respected and trusted, Anders knew that he could take full advantage of them. So under the guise of helping those less fortunate, he enacted his murderous plan. On October 19th, 1864, he took his first victim. Allowing entry into her house, Karen her, her daughter, her daughter had no idea the true meaning of Anders' visit that day. They went inside, had some dinner, prayed, drank wine together, did religiously religious-y church stuff, and then he left. The end. But soon, it was discovered that Karen had passed away some days later, or even later in that night. Knowing that she had been ill and impoverished, this didn't strike officials as odd. And life went on. Nothing changed. Two more times this occurred. On November 30th of that same year, he visited Nils Pedersen. Yet again, you know, under the act of showing mercy and providing help. And yet again, Nils went on to pass away very shortly after the vicar's visit. After the vicar's visit. No evidence of foul play. The victim is alive when the vicar leaves the house. And again, still, no one suspects anything criminal yet due to the lifestyle and welfare of the victims, unfortunately. Only 15 days later, he strikes again. This time in the home of Anders Leeson. I'm going to go with Leeson um, and only by his last name so we don't have two Anders in the story. Leeson. And this time, he wasn't so smart. You see, Leeson may have been sick, but he wasn't poor like his previous victims. And this mistake is the beginning of the vicar's downfall. Quote, he, as in Leeson, was a wealthy businessman, and his sudden death made his relatives suspect that something was wrong. At the beginning of 1865, Leeson's brother demanded that the grave should be opened. And in March of 1865, on the request of the local sheriff, it was concluded that Leeson died because of the arsenic poisoning. More graves were opened, and it was noted that two more parishioners died of arsenic poisoning. End quote. All of a sudden, within days, they have gone from zero to three possible murder victims. And as it turns out, Leeson's brother had not been the first person to (laughs) suspect... To suspect something fishy. After each of his victims died, Anders was very quick to set in motion their funerals and their burials, almost seemingly rushing the ceremonies. Plus, people had been hearing rumors that he was doling out large sums of cash after each death, which didn't seem to add up and only confused uh, the people of his parish that much more. So, under these pretenses and, uh, basically the only thing to go on Anders was arrested and charged with we're not exactly sure what he was charged with on that on that day but he was brought to trial eventually after the arrest and before the trial a surviving victim named Daniel came forward with a harrowing story apparently he had survived five visits from the vicar five total visits however His mother was not so lucky, and she had happened to pass away after one of those visits. Oof. This, like I said, it surfaced right before the trial, that story, and I think that was the moment Anders knew he got got. There was no way out of this. So, quote, during the first trial, which was held by the district court on 11 June or June 11th in Langolanda Courthouse, Anders Lindbog confessed to three murders and three murder attempts. In a long defense speech, he explained that he had done it in order to free those people from the plagues. This speech did not help him, and he was sentenced to death. End quote. Like, what a dicknip. Everybody knows you weren't trying to help anyone or anything except for your own bottom line. You were a greedy little snake. You took advantage of your position. And now you will pay the price. That same year, before justice was able to be served, Anders Lindbach hung himself in jail on November 20th, 1865. Almost exactly one year after his last and final murder. So there you have it, folks. Sweden's first known serial killer. First recorded, first mentioned. There's probably a few crazy cuckoos out there beforehand. And obviously, not the most notorious because that's next week, baby. I'm getting too comfortable talking in this mic. I check myself. Before I go, as always, I just want to say oh, shit. Um, I forgot, I forgot to read, I forgot to read one passage. Holy moly. I didn't even tell you how he did it. Well, I mean, you heard the part about arsenic. I'm so sorry. So he was uh, just, he was dumping arsenic into those wine bottles when he was going over and having dinner with these people and poisoning them. Wow. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Okay. Like I was saying, before I go, as always, thank you to everyone who listens. This is why I need somebody else to talk. So I could be like, hey. Motherfucker, you forgot the most important part. Yeah. <sighs> Thank you. We are still a very, very tiny family over here, but I appreciate each and every one of your earballs. I can't believe we're almost at 25 episodes. We're so close to 2,000, lis- not listeners, 2,000 plays. I honestly didn't imagine I'd ever get past 10, uh, which I probably almost didn't. But here we are. Also, before I go go go, 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 uh if well if one were to ever visit Sweden theoretically, what's one thing I should completely and utterly avoid like the most just don't do it, not worth your time sort of thing because there's too many so many sites about what I should do. I want to know what I shouldn't do or what I could do. That might get me in trouble. Anyways, I hope you all enjoyed today's journey across the ocean or across the continent, depending on where your home is. Um, Hopefully, it's not here. All right, Coolio, I think that'll do it for me. Happy fall, everyone. Uh, Look, we hit 20 minutes. Barely. Love you. Bye-bye.